So I'm so glad we're finally to the point I can ask you something and you'll, you'll answer back because it was, it was awkward. So as always, it is, it is wonderful to worship alongside of you. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, today we will be in chapter 2. While you're turning there, today is Mother's Day. We mentioned it just a moment, a little while ago. Um, what a wonderful day it is. I know for some of you it's hard. Let's just acknowledge that for some of you, Mother's Day is hard. This may be your first Mother's Day without your mother. It may be a first Mother's Day without a child. It may be a Mother's Day where you have been seeking to become a mother, praying to become a mother, and the Lord has just not seen fit to bless you yet. So whatever today is, if it's a hard day for you, understand that we're praying for you. We're here alongside of you with that and that the Lord is good. He's good. And for you mothers, I do want to say thank you. Um, I wouldn't trade places with you for anything. <laughs> Everybody talks about how hard the job of a pastor is, and it's true. All of our jobs are hard. But on those days where I'm off and my wife is out of the house, that's hard. I'm about to cry just thinking about it. And I love my kids. It's wonderful. I am blessed by them. But man, what a hard job it is. And so mothers, I want you to know that this church is thankful for you. We celebrate you. We honor you. So if you are a mother here today, even if your child is in heaven, you are a mother, will always be a mother. I want you to stand up and let us honor you. And here in a moment when we pray, we're going to pray for you. All right, I don't know if you've noticed the pattern yet this morning, but it's been on prayer, on need, on needing the Lord in our lives. And so let's go to him and acknowledge, confess that need in prayer. Father, we need you. Even as Raymond saying, we need you every hour, every moment, every second. And you are a great God who meets our needs. Lord, we know we can't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of your mouth. We know that you are the one that gives life and breath and movement to all of us. That Lord, we need you for that. Lord, that you are the one who decides and decrees the days of our life, how many days we will live, how many beats of our heart we will get, how many breaths we will take. And so, Father, even right now, we are recipients of your mercy, recipients of your grace. Lord, may it be that we use these breaths, use the beats of our hearts, use the days that you've given us for your glory and to honor your name. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And in our need this morning, we pray that you would meet with us, you would speak to us, you would nourish us by your word. And Father, I do want to thank you for mothers. God, what a gift mothers are. Father, and I pray for those who today is difficult, today is hard, today they feel the loss of their mothers. For those who never knew their mothers, 
for those who want to be mothers and you have just not blessed them with that yet. Lord, for those who had bad mothers, Lord, we, we could never name every hardship. But Lord, you know them. You know our hearts. You know our fears, our worries, our troubles, our struggles, our, our pains. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us, each of us, in those places and take us to those green pastures you promised. Father, I do thank you for the mothers in this room. I pray that you would give them grace today, strength today, blessing today. May they see the fruit of their labor and where they are tired, where they have maybe even slacked off in some ways. Lord, strengthen them once again with the vision that you have given them as mothers, as the task to which you've, been, uh, that you've called them. Lord, work among them, we pray. And Father, I want to pray for our friends over at Main Street Presbyterian. Um, Lord, the Matokas were a gift to this community, and we know they've been gone for a couple of years now. And what great news it is that you have blessed them with another pastor. And so we pray for that pastor. We pray for his family. We pray for them as they are preparing to leave, um, I think, Kansas and move here. Lord, over the years, over the decades, do an incredible work through his ministry, through that church, in that church, bring revival, honor the name of Jesus here in this city. We want good for our brothers and sisters over there. And Lord, we know they want good for us. So in every gospel church this morning, may your son be lifted up and may those who do not know you even here today, leave as yours. Leave in faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Christian, the world is a dangerous place. Your enemies are out there. They are coming. And they are coming for you. It's a wonderful start, isn't it? Persecution is once again on the rise. It's been reported that over 360 million Christians worldwide are facing persecution, anything from fines and government pressure to arrest, rape, murder. In Nigeria alone, more than 7,600 Christians have been killed over a 16-month period. In that nation alone, in Nigeria, since 2009, 50,000-plus Christians have been murdered. In China, we see the same type of, of issues. We see a, a rise in the imprisonment of house church pastors and elders. You may be surprised to hear that America does not approach the top 50 list for most difficult nations to live in for believers. Yet it's been well-documented even here the anti-Christian bias in media, in Hollywood, in academia, in medicine. Even the government here is beginning to crack down on Christian organizations, be it a church or parachurch organizations. And there's two ways we can respond to that. There's two specific ways you've seen churches respond. There have been a, a few churches, or many churches, I would say, who have just given in 
And they've said, wherever the culture is going, that's where we're going to go. They've followed the culture rather than face the persecution that rebellion against the culture would bring. So what they've namely done lately is they've begun to bow down to the gods of sexual perversion and sexual revolution. And, and, and now they, they, they worship these gods, these false gods of stone and of wood. Other churches, they've gone the other route where they see the enemies on the outside and they've, they've pulled back, they've barred the doors, they've barricaded the windows, and they have just said, hey, y'all be out there, you do this. It's kind of like watching what, uh, The Walking Dead or something. Like everything out there is dead, let's just bar the doors, we'll be inside. And what they've done is they've just said, you know what, we want nothing to do with the world. We hope the world has nothing to do with us. I was just told this week of a conversation that one of our members had with a member of a different church, and that guy said to him, I hope to get a job in a church because I don't feel called to be around unbelievers. I don't know if he hadn't been in church lately or what. I don't know what's going on. But notice what Paul has just told us in our text last week, fight the fight of faith. Wage the good warfare. Christian, lock arms together because life is a battle. Keep your head up, your eyes open for clear eyes and full hearts can't lose. And our response to that just may be, you're right, Paul. Let's fight to believe the enemies are out there. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they've left. They're dead to us. So we're gonna be in here Doors locked within these walls, and we're going to fight our way to heaven, just us. And so Paul says to us, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, don't be like that. Rather, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Fight the fight of faith. Hold on to a good conscience. Watch out for doctrine. Live a holy life. Don't stray but persevere. And then I urge you, pray for all people. Why? Because God desires all people to be saved. And brothers and sisters, so should you. The children of God should have the same desire as their father, that the lost will be saved, that all will be saved, even kings, even all those in authority, even those who are bringing the persecution, even your enemies, what do you do? You desire 
and you pray for their salvation. What can the church never do? Well, it can never bow down to the gods of the culture on this side. That's not holding the faith. But can, it can never ride into the opposite ditch either. It can never bar its doors, barricade its windows, and come to the place where we are content with it just being us. Just us going to heaven just us being saved, just us knowing and experiencing the goodness of God. So brothers and sisters, first off, are you like God in this? Do you desire all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Because he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What good is that? Even the tax collectors do that. I always wonder if our tax collector ever comes to church. I always thought that'd be an interesting job in here to just say, like, even the tax collectors do that. I got off the subject. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Everybody does that. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love them. How? By praying for them. And Paul gets specific because he knows, our, he knows us just like we know ourselves. Oh, you want me to pray for that guy? Okay, well, let me turn to the Psalms. I'm going to go to the imprecatory Psalms, and I'm going to say, God, that man, break his teeth out. Take him down. Cast, his, cast your net upon them and take him to the grave. And while you're at it, bless this food in Jesus' name. <laughs> Paul knows us. He knows us. And so he says, when I, when I tell you to pray for people, this is what I mean. Go to God and offer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all of them, even for kings and all who are in high positions or positions of authority. Supplications, what is that? Well, that sounds like the English word we would get for supply, right? What you're essentially doing is you're going to God and saying, that guy right there, God, that guy right there, I'm praying for him. Will you supply what they need? Will you give them that daily bread that they need? I'll be honest, God, I don't even like that guy. But I'm asking you to provide for their needs. Not so much that they curse you, that they forget you, like Solomon said in Proverbs. Not so little that they curse you. Give them what they need. God, provide for them. May they come to see that you are their great provider, namely in salvation. We pray for them. We go to God on their behalf, and while there, we intercede for them. We're told in Scripture that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for us, that they stand before God on our behalf, asking for his goodness, asking for his grace, his mercy to just shower and rain down on us. You remember when Jesus did this on the cross? He's hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, what? 
forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's interceding for his enemies right there. Job did this for his children. You remember this in Job chapter 1 where he goes before God and he offers sacrifices and he says, it may be that my children, because his children would come together and essentially party is what they would do. And he says, it may be that my children have sinned and they've cursed God in their hearts. So he's offering sacrifices on their behalf. He's interceding on their behalf. And, the, and this is what we're, we're to do according to Paul. We are to intercede even for our enemies. That even for our enemies, we go to God and we say, God, show them mercy. Show them who you are. Show them the cross of Jesus Christ. Forgive them that we are to long for their repentance and their salvation, asking God to forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Lastly, and this one may actually be the hardest one, we go to God in thanksgiving for them. How can you thank God for all people? Some are easy to be thankful for. Some are just... We thank God that no matter who it is, they have been made in his image. And because of that, they have incredible, immeasurable worth, value. We thank God that, that, that he has given them gifts and talents. I mean, you, you notice when we have enemies, we see all of their faults and all of their flaws and we multiply those. But when we look at ourselves or our friends, Oh, I know his heart, though. Uh, he means well. I mean well. That guy, when he does the exact same thing I do, he's such a jerk. I have good motives. No. The, Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, look, give thanks for them. Give thanks for even how God has gifted them, given them talents He's made them in many ways who they are with his giftings. He's knit them together in their mother's womb for his own glory. We thank God for people that, that when they give good to us or when they do good to us, that is ultimately a kindness that comes from him because every good thing comes from God. And any evil we receive from their hand, we thank God that what? That even that evil even what they mean for our destruction, God will mean it for what? Our good. That even those things he will redeem. This is a tough one, but it, that Paul says it. Give thanks for all people. That you're to pray for all people like this from the lowest in society up to and including our leaders. He says kings and all in authority. Or in America, for our president our vice president, our Supreme Court justices, all the way down to local leadership. We are commanded by God to pray for them, to intercede for them, to ask God to supply every need for them and to be thankful for them. This is true even for bad leaders, even for evil leaders. God, uh, Paul wrote this when Nero was burning Christians and using them to light fires so that the people could see while they're walking down the street. And Paul says, give thanks for them. Pray for them. And he says this, that look, it's God who puts rulers in place. 
God is the one who sets up kings and tears them down. What else does that mean? That God is the one who appoints presidents and who takes them out. That he's sovereign over that, that he does that. Look, if you wanna read more about that, let me just throw out a few things. Romans 13, you can read it in there. Daniel chapter two, you can read it there. And then John 19, Jesus is talking about this. God has leaders where he wants them. Now I know looking around and even knowing some of you, there's a very good chance you've been underwhelmed with our recent presidents. Be it this one or the last one or both. And what's become a norm for us, I I, I would say you, but what's become a norm for us is that scoffing, mockery, and dishonor have become the norm for Christians when we talk about our leaders. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again today. Our leadership right now is wicked. It's evil. They celebrate evil and they punish good. It's who they are. It's what's happening here. And so what are we to do? Pray. We're to pray for them. That God will crush them? (laughs) Not according to this. No, you intercede on behalf of our leaders. You ask God to supply their needs, and they have many of them. You go before God and you ask him to forgive them, to show them grace, to save them. Why? Because just like God, we want all people, our leaders included, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Look what Paul says. He says, we pray for them, all of them, even kings and all in authority, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. We pray for this so that we may have a peaceful life. And I have always thought and taught that what that means is that you pray for good leaders to have wisdom, to make right and just laws and to obey those laws and to enforce those laws so that life will be peaceful. I think that's true. But the more I studied this week, I I came to realize, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about this. He uses two words that are essentially the same to talk about peace and quiet. And you've heard those combinations in your house. Maybe your father, it's not Father's Day, so we can talk about fathers. Your father's yelled, peace and quiet. I need some peace and quiet. Okay? And he uses these two words, peace and quiet, and yet they are essentially the same words. Like if you, if you opened up the Greek and you said, okay, what does this mean, word mean? It, it means peace and quiet. And then you look at the other one and you guess what it means? Quiet and peace. And yet there's a difference in them, and it's a slight difference, and yet one of the words focuses on the external peace and quiet, like what we were just talking about. Pray that they will have wisdom so that externally there will be peace because laws are being followed and the laws are good and right to begin with. But the other word actually means more like an internal peace, that inside of you there is tranquility. And there's peace. Think about it. What happens when you are at odds with someone? Hating them, wanting their destruction, wanting God to withhold grace from them. 
What's going on? Don't tell me you've never done it. You are at odds with the will and the mission of God because He wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so when we, as His sons or daughters, are hating people and saying, God, withhold grace from them, destroy them, do this, we are at odds with our Father. And when you are at odds with your Father, guess what you will not have? Peace, tranquility, quiet internally. You're not meant to because you're not living godly and dignified in every way. So what do you do? You pray for them. You pray for men and women with whom you are at odds. Is it tough? <laughs> yeah. Is it commanded? Yes. Will God use it for your good? Without question. For as Jesus said, this is what it looks like to be sons of your Father in heaven. This is what it looks like to be a child of God. Something interesting happens, and I've noticed this in my life. I can't be praying for people that God would bless them and save them and forgive them while at the same time hating them, wanting their harm and wanting him to withhold from them. I can't do both, nor am I supposed to. So when we go to God in prayer for people we dislike, we're not just asking God to change them. We're actually asking God to change us to work out our salvation in us. This, Paul says, is good and pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior because we're being like Him. We're thinking like Him. We're acting like Him. We want all people to be saved, even those holding the hammer of our crucifixion. So look, let's talk in the ether. Now let's bring it down. Who is it for you? Don't say names out loud. Who is it? Because more than likely, everyone in here, when we started having this conversation, somebody came to your mind or a type of people came to your mind. Who is it? Because whoever that was, God's saying, that's who I'm talking about. Your people are probably different than mine. And yet, that's who God's talking about. And when his word comes, his word comes not just to us as a church, it comes to us as his sons or as his daughters. And so son or daughter of God, who is it you need to begin praying for? Yes, all people. But who else is it? Think about how God uses the prayers of his people in the lives of even our enemies. What's the worst thing an enemy could seemingly do to you? It would seem like kill you. Think back to the first martyr. Who was it? Stephen. That was, that was a quiet answer. Nobody wanted to stake their claim on that one. Stephen. Think about it. Stephen was being stoned for what the people thought was blasphemy because he was saying Jesus is the Christ. And so they picked up rocks and they stoned him. And right before the final death blow comes, right before that one particular rock that ends his breathing and ends his heart, he cries out, we're told, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That what he's doing right there is he's praying, he's interceding for the people who are standing over his own demise that the Lord would see fit to forgive them and to save them and make them his own. 
And years later, a man would write a letter who was right there that day, who was standing over that, who no doubt heard what he cried out. He heard that loud, vo loud voice, and he's writing in this letter to say, pray for all people. Pray for all people. Don't look at somebody and think, oh, they're beyond the, the grace of God. They can't do it. They can't come to him. No. Pray for all people because he wants all kinds of people to be saved. Now, let's bring that one home too. This is true of you also. That if you look at yourself and you look at your life and you look at your thoughts and your attitudes and all these things of who you are and you just think, God would never take someone like me. It's hopeless. It's pointless. I might as well not even try. Well, God says he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And the Bible also says, let God be true, though every man be a liar. Guess who's the one thinking wrongly? If that's you, you are. Because God wants all to be saved, all to come to him. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. Come to him in faith and he will save you. He goes on to say that we are to pray that all men come to know the truth. Truth's a big deal these days, and by that I mean most people think it doesn't exist. That there's your truth, there's my truth, there's facts, there's opposite facts, there's your facts, there's this, whatever, there's, there's TurboTax, there's whatever. <laughs> and Paul says, they need to know the truth. What's the truth? That there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he gave himself as a ransom for all. That's what Paul's appointment is as a preacher and an apostle, to share the good news that there's only one God and there's only one mediator. It's Jesus Christ. Why would he say that here? Why would he say that? Because he wants us to know that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and Jesus Christ is that mediator. He is the one who gave himself as a ransom for sinners. Why does he say that? We, we know that, don't we? I think we do, and yet we're prone to forget. Like he's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, a blatantly pluralistic, polytheistic, multiple God-worshiping city. Paul administered there alongside Timothy. Timothy and Silas and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, and the Lord was working mightily there in Ephesus. And then a riot happens, and the riot happens because the silversmith and the people that made false gods, they were in the business of, of crafting gods out of wood and out of stone. Well, the gospel's moving so powerfully that people just stop buying those because they want the one true God. They don't need the God sitting on their mantles anymore. Their businesses start failing because they can't sell their gods anymore. And so they start a riot, and the basis of the riot says this, our goddess Artemis is being counted as nothing. You know why she was being counted as nothing? Because she is nothing. There's only one God, and all the rest are counterfeit. But the people in Ephesus would be kind of like us in this, that they could have their tendency to just come to the place where you know we worship our God, the one true God, 
but the rest don't. They have their gods, lowercase g. They worship another. Yeah, it's not real. They're not real, but it's what they want. It's what they desire. Who are we to tell them different? Who are we to judge them? Who are we? Well, we are the sons and daughters of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And our God and Father wants all people to be saved. He wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth that He is God, that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, to give His life as a ransom so that they would be freed from damnable, eternal punishment. He desires that, and sons and daughters of God are to desire that too because that is our mission, to go and make disciples. So brothers and sisters, don't forget that there's only one God. And every single person around us, when they die, they will stand before him. Don't forget there's only one mediator, that there is no answer that will work besides Jesus is my only hope to be made right with God. He is the one mediator. He is my one ransom. I'm trusting in him and that he came to save sinners. He came to ransom that friend of yours, your family member, your neighbor, your workout partner, your coworker, your waitress. He wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth so that they can be saved because apart from them and apart from this faith, they will be damned forever and ever and ever. God wants them to be saved. Do you? And so he says, pray for it. Pray for it. Ask me for it. Intercede on their behalf. Understand that a church that prays more for physical illnesses than they do for spiritual needs is a church who has forgotten the mission of God. That if you will pray for your aunt's cancer but not her soul, you've forgotten that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And so Paul's just saying, church, come back to the basics Come back to the foundation here, back to what matters. He's writing a letter to the church and how it should function. And the very first practical thing he says to us is this, pray. Pray that the lost will be saved. Pray that they will come to a knowledge of Christ. Don't lose that church. Don't come to think that it doesn't matter because when you do, your desires and our desires have parted ways with the desire of God and we've forgotten our mission. We've gone off track. So pray. Lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or quarreling. Put aside your differences and unite in prayer. Unite in this vision that all will come to know Christ, that your sons and your daughters will come to know Christ, that Columbus and the nation and the world will come to know Christ, that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. Ask him. Why? Because he listens. Because he hears. And by your prayers, God moves.